If you tell your doctor that you're tired all the time, would they take you seriously? What if you said you're snoring? In this podcast, I talk to Alida Abdullah about finding her sleep apnea diagnosis, getting treatment, and what she wishes she'd known earlier in her journey. We also discuss a challenge many of us face, how to balance a busy lifestyle while also prioritizing treatment and sleep. Welcome to Project Sleep's podcast. Project Sleep is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness and advocating for sleep health, sleep equity, and sleep disorders. I'm your host, Julie Flygar. We're so glad you're here as we work together towards making sleep cool. On this podcast, all guests express their own opinions. While medical diagnoses and treatment options are discussed for educational purposes, this information should not be taken as medical advice. Each person's experience is so unique which is why it's so important to always consult your own medical team when making decisions about your own health. If you haven't done so yet, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a Project Sleep podcast episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen so that we can reach more listeners and raise more awareness. The Sleep Insight series invites listeners to learn about this amazing adventure we take every night called sleep. Through these insightful discussions, we examine sleep and our society's beliefs about sleep from a variety of angles. We hope you'll learn some cool new facts and analogies that you can use to help us raise awareness about this underappreciated one-third of our lives. Hello, everybody. We're really excited today to have a very special guest with us, Alita. Say hello. Hi. I am so excited to have a conversation with Alita today. Alita reached out via Instagram is how we met. And then we have been getting to know each other over the last couple of weeks. We also both live with sleep conditions. So Alita Abdullah is a wife, mother of four, and a teacher living in the Atlanta area. She was initially diagnosed with sleep apnea 10 years ago, but didn't understand the severity of the disorder until more recently when she learned of the many other health issues that sleep apnea can cause. She is sharing her story today to help us raise awareness of underdiagnosed but serious sleep conditions like sleep apnea and how they can affect other areas of people's lives. We're just really excited to hear your full story. Also, just like being a mother of four and a teacher, like, wow. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I am also what I would consider a serial entrepreneur. I'm a part of a company that helps people actually get their credit in order. So um, I'm a part of the team Unstoppable. So shameless plug there. I just, you know, I really like to help people and I like to, you know, provide education. So this opportunity to share about the sleep disorder that, you know, I've been dealing with probably even longer than the diagnosis um, is really a blessing. I used to do birth work in Minnesota, working with the community, providing awareness there. So Everything I've done has been around education. I do have four wonderful children. I have two sons. My oldest son is a huge football player. And my youngest son is five. My daughters are in the middle. Um, They really like art and creating, and they are really creative kids. So I've run the gamut. I was an athlete growing up. I am the daughter of a retired football and track coach. So sports runs huge in my life. Right now, the one oldest child is trying to groom the youngest son to be a football player. But I definitely think I have athletes in my daughters as well. One plays tennis and she enjoys that. And the other one, I believe, I, this is my personal opinion. I am no world-class track coach, but 
I believe she's a 400 runner. <laughs> but for the meantime, I think they're just enjoying the skates. But to get to my story, I actually, as Julie said, I was diagnosed back in 2010, somewhere around 2010. I had just given birth to my oldest daughter and I was what, in my opinion, huge. I weighed about 200 pounds. I'd never weighed that much before. And she was the smallest kid I had. I'm like, how did you put this much weight on me and be this little? After I gave birth to her, I think my snoring became worse. Of course, my husband had noticed it before. And uh, he would say, hey, you know, you snore really loudly or whatever the case may be. Or sometimes he'll nudge me and, and wake me up. And so I said, well, perhaps because I have all this weight on me, that this is causing the sleep apnea. So I said, let me go to uh, ENT, get, you know, find out what I can do. So I did a sleep study. This particular sleep study, I actually had to go to a lab and I slept with a CPAP on. And I promise you, it was probably the best sleep I had gotten probably in my aware years, honestly. I felt so refreshed that day. I was going and the next day rather, and I was just going and I was all over the place. And I was like, wow. And when the results came back, it was true that I did have sleep apnea. However, when I got the CPAP at the time, I was breastfeeding and my daughter slept in the bed with me and I had recently decided to go natural. So my hair was, you know, thick and so I had all this stuff and these tubes and this machine. And I was like, oh, this is a headache. I, I worked really hard to get the weight off. So I, I, I dropped my weight and I said, okay, I probably don't have sleep apnea anymore. I'm not fooling with that machine. It gets on my nerves. It's just too much going on. And then I got pregnant with my youngest daughter. So there, there we go again. So I didn't use the machine after that because I, I really didn't think it was, it was helpful. You know, I said, okay, well, I kind of feel better sometimes, but not consistently enough for me to feel like I needed the machine. So fast forward four years and I went for my regular female physical checkup. And the doctor says, hey, your blood pressure is elevated. And I'm like, whose blood pressure? Not mine. Uh, you can't be talking about me. I work out. You know, of course, like I said, I'd gone through all this trouble to get the weight off. And I did the same with my youngest daughter. I'm, I'm working out and, you know, I try to eat right and I don't smoke. I'm not a drinker. That's not my thing. Like, what? Who has hope? Not me. And they were like, well, it's genetic. I was like, well, my mother and my grandmother have high blood pressure, but it can't be me. I'm, I'm an athlete. My parent, my mother and my grandmother, they weren't athletes. So it can't be me. And I battled that for about a week going back and forth with doctors. Hey, I don't want to take this medication. I'm not, I don't have high blood pressure. I don't believe in that. I'm not claiming that as they say. And the doctor finally said, well, well, here's the question. Do you want to have a heart attack or a stroke? I said, no. So she said, well, take the medication. She said, but I will work with you to get your dosage low. So for the next six months, I what I also notice is that the type of the types of things that I was eating. So I'm thinking that if I get zatarins or if I get rice aroni or or pasta roni and I add vegetables, hey, I'm good. But I didn't realize the astronomical amounts of sodium that those box meals have in them. So I started eliminating those things and learned how to make the pasta without the box, and that was helpful. 
And of course, I continued to work out. And I finally did get down to a really low dosage of my hypertension medicine. Kept moving. We moved to Minnesota. I had uh, my youngest son. And then when we moved back here, I had gone to the ENT because I was having some other issues, you know, sinus things and, and so forth. And I told him about, hey, you know, I used to, I was diagnosed at one point with sleep apnea. Do you think I still have it? And he mentioned to me, he said, well, you know, he said quite possibly, he said, I would have to do another sleep study because it's been so long. But sleep apnea, I don't know if you knew this. Now, he didn't know that I had high blood pressure or anything. He said, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but sleep apnea actually causes hypertension. And I was like, oh, really? He said, yeah, and it can cause type 2 diabetes and some other things. And I'm like, uh, oh, okay. So now I'm, I'm more like, mm. and he said, he said, I found out for myself because I had high blood pressure where I have high blood pressure and I would use the machine. He said, but I wouldn't always feel just so great after using it. He said, but my blood pressures came down. I said, oh, okay. So that was my wake up call. Yes, pun intended. That was my wake up call, honestly. I said, okay, so let's go ahead and, and do this, this sleep study to see. And I had, when they did my study, I think on average, I had 60 apneas an hour. It may have actually been more than that, but at any rate. So for those who don't know what sleep apnea is, apnea means that you stop breathing in your sleep. And I would stop breathing 60 plus times per hour. Well, I just, I love how you mentioned something about something that you didn't want to own, like that you didn't want to own high blood pressure is, yeah. uh, was like so funny to me because I have narcolepsy with cataplexy, mm -hmm. type one narcolepsy. And, you know, uh, it's one of those things too, that you first hear and you go, I don't want to own that. <laughs> you know? No, no, nobody <laughs> wants to claim something that is, I don't know, looked upon as, as negative. And I certainly thought high blood pressure was super negative. And it is, it's very, and, and they call it a silent killer for, for a reason, because literally when my blood pressure was elevated, feel nothing. I had no headache, no nothing. I did have an episode after my youngest son was born where I could feel pressure in my lip. And I was like, mm, and I had a slight headache. And when I say slight, like I have a pretty high tolerance for pain. So it was slight, okay, no big deal. And I checked my blood pressure, it was sky high. So I had to go to the hospital and stay an extra day for them to get my pressure down because all during my pregnancy, I, I took no medication. I thought pregnancy had cured me from high blood pressure, but it didn't. So, yeah, so I had to go take care of uh, getting my pressure down. But because I was aware of my condition and I used the cuff and, you know, was able to check my, my pressure, then I was able to, to do something about it. But going back to what an apnea is, an apnea is where you stop breathing um, in the middle of the night. So if you ever hear somebody snoring, and I know it's going to sound weird, but it sounds kind of like there's a... <laughs> and then, you know, you go back to breathing. That is an apnea. That means that during that time period where a person is snoring and you hear them just go silent, they're not breathing. Nudge them, wake them up, shake them, do something. 
I was talking to my dad the other day and he was like, sometimes I'm just in my sleep begging somebody to just shake me, shake me. And I'm like, dad, you need a machine. Just go get a machine, please. <laughs> and I know it, um, it is something that I probably inherited from him. I have been snoring since I was about 11. My brother woke me up one night. He was like, you're snoring, you're loud, you're waking me up. And I was like, hey, go away. And I would sleep in class. I slept all through high school. I slept all through college. As a matter of fact, I do believe that when I was uh, in college, I slept in class so much that when I went to go get the, fill out the paperwork to graduate, people were looking at me like, how in the world did she get through? She slept through most of it. Yeah, I did. I did. And once again, something undiagnosed and you don't think about it. And there's this stereotypical picture. Like when I think of sleep apnea, the person and the picture that comes to my, to my mind is Homer Simpson. No joke. This is exactly who I think of would have sleep apnea. Older, middle-aged, beer belly guy, just, you know, kind of sloppy in a way. I never would have thought that me being an athlete, halfway in some sort of shape, why, why, why have sleep apnea? Well, I snore. And it could be, you know, some anything that causes it. You can have an obstruction in your sinus passageways. It could be that I think the way they call it, there are several types. So I have obstructive sleep apnea. And I think that when I sleep, my tongue relaxes in a way that it doesn't allow for the air to breathe, to flow freely. But I think it's important that you, you recognize these things. And no, I don't like the machine. The machine gets on my nerves. However, I know that the machine helps me. And it ain't sexy. No, not at all. It, you know, and I have a husband that's just like, dang, I know he's over there like, dang, I got Darth Vader over there. She looking crazy with all them tubes. But, you know, I know that he's more concerned about me being healthy than about what I'm looking like when I'm asleep. And I think that sometimes we, we get into this, oh, I don't want to look like that. I don't want to, um, that ain't, that ain't cute. My man ain't going to like that. Or, you know, if you're a guy, oh man, I don't want my girl to think I ain't fine. Cause I got this, but you know, honestly, if you are with someone who truly loves you, they don't care what you look like in your sleep. They just want to make sure you're going to wake up. And what happens is we have these conditions. Once again, sleep apnea, I knew I had it, but I didn't realize the major impact. And I wonder if, had I continued to use the machine and, and gone through with the CPAP therapy from the first time I was diagnosed, that I may not have been diagnosed with hypertension some years later because the stress and the pressure would not have been on my arteries the same way. Um, the way the doctor explained it to me is that when you have an apnea and you stop that breathing, your body treats it like it's a heart attack because you have cut off your airways. And so you're, it's going through these panic attacks throughout the night and that puts stress on your arteries. It puts stress on your heart. It puts stress on your body as a whole. And so we don't think about it and we just think of it, oh, you know, he just can't sleep because I'm snoring. But it's really much bigger than that. And we have to take control over our health and well-being. And when we know that we have certain uh, conditions, then we can do something about them. Think about Serena Williams' new 
she suffered with embolisms and that's when you have blood clots. So she knew what to do when she had those embolisms. But right after her daughter was born, she had one. And the doctors were like, oh, you're fine. And she was like, no, I'm not. She said, give me an MRI and give me an IV right away. She knew exactly what she needed to advocate for her health. And I think in the African-American community, especially, we have these conditions and literally we don't know that we have them. So here we're disproportionate to both hypertension and type 2 diabetes. And I learned just a year ago that sleep apnea causes both of those. So how many of us are running around here, sleep, sleep apnea that has caused high blood pressure and diabetes, and we don't know that sleep apnea is the cause. So I think, I'm, I'm all about root causes. I do not take Tylenol unless I know exactly what's going on. If I have my knees hurting because I've been running or I know why I have a headache, oh my goodness, I know I'm getting a sinus infection, I will take medication. But until I get to that root cause, usually I won't take medication because it's like putting a Band-Aid on something. And you don't even know what's causing the issue that you see the outward result from. So, you know, if you see the high, high blood pressure, you see the type two diabetes, you think, oh, I'm not eating well, or I'm not exercising well. And that's probably true as well, but it could be something as serious as sleep apnea where you're literally cutting off your oxygen hundreds of times throughout the night. And that causes major, major problems. So if you can get to those root causes, you know, if I can take the therapy for the sleep apnea, bring my high blood pressure down, lower my risk of, of type two diabetes, um, Alita, we were talking a little bit about whether you face any barriers as far as, um, well, I guess you never took when you just were, you said you slept through like high school and college, but like you never really took the tiredness to any, you never like brought that up, but more like you brought up snoring, right? Is that the first? Yeah. And how was your interactions with the healthcare system? Because that's something that like I'm reading about more recently about, you know, race and uh, interactions with healthcare professionals and, and how seriously or not seriously, or they, they take people's concerns when they, from the black community um, and from minorities in general too. Yeah, exactly. And now, and that was why I brought up the Serena Williams story is that oftentimes healthcare professionals um, do overlook people in the African-American community and don't recognize, hey, look, you know, this is something serious that you need to really take note of. And they kind of go, oh, you, you know, you're strong, you can make it, you've been through all this stuff as a, as a people, They're, you know, you're fine. And that's not necessarily true. I didn't really experience any barriers with this particular situation. I just went in there and said, listen, I'm snoring. My husband said, I can't. And they you know, went ahead and ordered that um, test that, you know, the sleep study. And I think that had I gone in there and said, I'm sleepy all the time. Yes, by nature, I'm a night owl. So it's nothing for me to go to bed at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning and still get up at say six or seven in the morning because over the past few years, I've kind of developed this early morning routine. So I'm, I'm a night out. So anybody could, if I go into a doctor's office and I say, I'm always tired. I'm, and people would walk up to me and they would look, hey, you all right? I'm like, why are you asking me that? You look tired. I'm like, do it. 
Oh my goodness. So, and that was a thing that really said, okay, let me get this machine because I need to at least, if I'm going to stay up all hours of the night, I need to at least get quality sleep when I do get it. But going back to healthcare professionals, what if I just said, hey, I'm always sleepy. I'm always tired. There'll be times, literally, I am originally from Columbus, which is about an hour and a half south of Atlanta, driving home from school, you know, in Atlanta to my hometown. And thank God for those little bumps they put on the median that would wake me up and I'm back on the road and I'm good. But it was, you know, I would find myself sleepy, even if I had gotten what I would consider a good night's rest or I'd gotten, you know, six, seven hours of sleep, I still would be tired. And oftentimes we say, okay, I'm tired. I'm, I'm really I'm sleepy. Or, you know, I always feel like I need to take a nap and you're not getting all your oxygen. So you're really not getting all the rest you think you're getting if you have sleep apnea and it's undiagnosed. So that's another major hazard. You know, you fall, fall asleep driving or while operating heavy machinery or anything like that. So I think the key word is to go in there and you say, I don't think I'm breathing through the night or I'm snoring. But I think if you go in there and you say, well, I'm just tired all the time, they may just dismiss it and say, you probably just need to get some more sleep. And one of that, you know, to be honest with you, that is what drew me to your, uh, your IG page because it was Project Sleep. And I'm always trying to find better ways to come up with a sleep routine, better ways to get better sleep. So I said, okay, this is a great resource. And when I reached out, I got a chance to, to meet you. And it's, it's just been an amazing experience. Um, but I have a very, di- now when I go, when I hit that bed, or if I hit this, oh, this is my favorite couch here. Oh, I sleep best in this couch, better than anywhere else. But if I hit it, I'm, I'm gone. It's me getting there. I always feel like I have something to do. You know, and like I said, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I have things going on. I have four kids. Oh, I need to have this together for them. I need to do this. And so my brain is always going. Now, once my head hits the pillow, I'm done to the place where sometimes I I don't even put the machine on because I have faded and I'm gone before before time. But honestly, my biggest struggle is coming up with a consistent Mm -hmm. sleep routine. Just how do I get as much done throughout the day? that I feel satisfied enough to go to bed. I'm like a baby. You know, babies don't, they're, they're dog tired and they're rubbing their eyes and they're because they don't want to miss anything. They don't want to feel like they've lost out on something. And that's, that's kind of how I operate. Like, okay, oh, dang, did I do this? Did I do that? Oh, I need to send this email. I need to, you know, type up this letter. I need to, it's always something that I can and should be doing that makes me feel like, why am I going to sleep? I, I got too much to do. Right. So- have you heard of the nap ministry? No. Oh, I got to connect you um, with that. Uh, it's a woman on, on, on Instagram, but also more than that. But that's just how um, I think in terms of Instagram world. But she talks about rest as a form of resistance that also like that we have this concept of productivity. And she does bring it in with race and um, like, you know, that it's a form of oppression um, that we think that we always have to be super overproductive and not to take time for rest. And so rest is like, yeah, like part of a, I won't say it as eloquently as as she does, but the importance of taking time for ourselves as a form of resistance. Ooh, 
yeah. I like it. I like it. And I always hear self-care. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, we equate self-care with the spa or going to get your hair and nails done. But we don't think about a nap. Now, I will take a nap. I, it doesn't take much. And once I've taken that nap, I usually am ready after that. So I definitely will take a look into, you said the nap ministry. The nap ministry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you asked me one time uh, when we did our interview initially, we talked you said, has that affected my job? And I would get sleepy through the, I, I mean, it's, it's easy to get sleepy, even though you have a classroom full of kids. And a long time ago, this is before I was even diagnosed, I would take a nap, you know, like my planning period, or, you know, I tell the kids, okay, give me five minutes, everybody just take a nap. And there are different cultures where a siesta is is normal. And why don't we have that here? Why can't we take a nap, especially after you eat lunch? And you know, after you've eaten lunch, you're hungry. You want to you want to sleep. Everybody wants to sleep. So give people half an hour, 15 minutes, 20 minutes to take a nap. And I, my hope is that during this pandemic, people have been able to take advantage of being at home and that freedom to say, you know, I'm a little tired. And, and as you say, uh, refresh yourself. It is self-care to take a nap and get adequate rest. And we don't even think about it that way. But, um, you know, if you're a napper, that, that's a good thing. Yeah, we got to own it. <laughs> um, Alita, I think that you also mentioned that people in the African-American community are much more familiar with hypertension and diabetes, but like sleep apnea is not really on the radar. You know, I'm not saying it's not on the radar, but I don't really hear people talk about sleep apnea. I hear people say, oh, girl, my husband snores so bad. Or, oh, man, I snore so terribly. I run people out of the house. So we we know the symptoms and we, we have an understanding of that. But I don't think that we, we say, girl, I got sleep apnea. I know a few people who do. And I know some people who actually have a machine and things like that. But we, it's not something that we we sit around and say, oh, you know, what they what they call it the sugar the, uh, back in the day we would call diabetes the sugar well you know so and so has the sugar and um, you know so we'll we'll use the the term snore but then we don't do anything about it you know we talk about snoring and you know people who have the sugar diabetes they go and get their insulin and they take their medication or you know you hear old people say you know I got I got high blood pressure baby you know I got to get my, my my pressure medicine. You know, and, and, and I always think, and I hate to say it this way, but I always think about high blood pressure and diabetes is something for older people. And um, so we, we always do think we take our blood pressure medication and we, we go get our insulin or we take care of our diabetes. But we talk about snoring all the time. We don't do anything about it. So we get treatment for these other things that we know affect us disproportionately in the African-American community, such as high blood pressure and diabetes, but we don't get any treatment for sleep apnea, which could very well be the root cause of these other two disorders that we're dealing with. It's kind of amazing to think too, that like, that you didn't know that for 10 years, like you, you first got a diagnosis and you didn't even know for 10 years, like that those things were associated with it. And then you went down this path of the high blood pressure and all the medications and no one in that journey ever thought, to look at your records. I don't know if it was part of, you know, somewhere in there or anything that there was that connection. And, you know, I don't know. And then, so hopefully things are getting better, but 
if I go to one provider and I get a sleep study, and then for example, I moved. So I moved from Georgia to Minnesota, back to Georgia. How do you keep up with all those records? And I don't think all the records follow you at all the time. So if I go to a gynecologist, they're not mixing records with the ENT, which has my sleep study records. It has, you know, my PCP may be connected in some way because that's hypertension, your primary care and things like that. But that, as a matter of fact, I told a gynecologist, I was like, I don't want a PCP. You're my doctor. Nope, you got to get a PCP for your high blood. So it's all these different people you got to go to. So if I don't have that in say my gynecological record and that's the only kind of doctor I'm going to and they're pulling records from a gynecologist but not necessarily pulling records from an ENT that's gonna have the information about the sleep apnea, then they may or may not make those connections. And then I wonder how much too, how much do providers in general, uh, you and I had that conversation about sleep disorders are not really talked about you know people think about narcolepsy is oh yeah yeah she's always sleepy it's it's actually is something very very serious oh she snores oh she should be snoring that that little baby's it, I, listen i have a daughter she snores so i don't know if she has sleep apnea she could but would they do a study for her at her age i don't know so i don't know at what point does sleep apnea become serious to the medical community and to the place where we we start really doing something about it. Well, so they, there are kids and they do do sleep studies on children. And um, I, we did a broadcast with a young, I'm going to say maybe she was seven. Oh, I hope I'm getting it right. But I think she already had a CPAP. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, but then, but then here, how much better is she going to be down the line if she continues with her therapy? Mm -hmm. She is avoiding potentially high blood pressure. She's potentially avoiding uh, type two diabetes. She is getting quality sleep so she can be all yeah. that she can be, so to speak. Life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll throw you that know? in there. <laughs> so yeah, I I think that we we really have to you know, we have to take those things into consideration. One other thing that I think is interesting too, is that sleep apnea doesn't always have to be with snoring too. So some people that I know with sleep apnea, they never even considered they had, they could have it because they didn't snore. And so that's like another, I mean, like Alita is saying that that's a big part of it, but then also some people don't even snore and could have sleep apnea. Well, I'm just so glad that you're willing to share because I think when you say like, even like, how can we raise awareness about these issues? in different communities. Like I think story, share, story sharing is like one of the most powerful vehicles and research actually really shows that, you know, we think often we can like throw facts at people and then they'll change their behaviors. But really like, I think you being a new face, not the Homer Simpson, you know, oh my God. Um, there's also a Homer Simpson episode where he gets narcolepsy by the way. And wow. so, yeah, I think there's also one where he does use a CPAP Goodness. But there's also one where he gets narcolepsy. It's kind of a creative episode, but uh, you're being willing to be a face, you know, of this and sharing, like, I think that is one of the ways to raise awareness um, and let people know about that. It's not just Homer. <laughs> no, no, not just Homer at all. 
<laughs> and not just old people, you know, I saw a movie, I think it was like Jumanji or something. And the, the granddad had this big CPAP that he was using. And I, like I said, we think of these things as older people, but I'm going to tell you one of the things that really has concerned me, like young people that I know, people that I went to middle school, junior high with and high school, they died, you know, from heart attacks and from strokes and from liver complications and liver complications is another issue that is caused by sleep apnea. And it's like, uh, yikes, you know, and how many people may have had some of these disorders and they passed away and they just never knew. That's a scary, scary thing. And we have to stop looking at it, like you say, as Homer Simpson or older people, but that, you know, it starts really when you're young. And if you can prevent certain other issues from occurring, then, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in a much better place. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that we should chat about? No, I just, you know, I recommend anyone who knows someone who snores or it sounds like they're not breathing at night. Oftentimes it's another person who can recognize those things in you. Because if you're asleep, you don't hear yourself snoring. You don't, you know, unless like I had an episode last week where I was like, oh my God, I, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. I fell asleep and I woke myself up. So unless you know that for yourself, make sure if you are the partner of someone that snores, or if you you think you may snore and you have a partner or your partner has told you that you snore, something to definitely take a look at. Go to your doctor, say, hey, listen, I snore, I stop breathing. Can I get a sleep study? It's really a simple, it's actually even better than the CPAP. They give you a little headband and you wear that at night and it just basically checks your oxygen levels. Uh, it determines whether or not you dropped below optimal oxygen levels throughout the night and how many times. And also if people are sleeping through school, <laughs> because I think a lot of people, you know, young people that could have narcolepsy too, or sleep apnea, like let's just not make a precedent where sleeping through school is okay and normal. And a lot of kids are getting in trouble. They're yeah. actually like going to truancy court and stuff uh, for missing school or sleeping through school. And that the more connections we can make there um, and help educators consider a medical condition as opposed to you know, oh, maybe this kid's partying or this kid's gaming late at night. And maybe they are, maybe. But why not also just look for a possible sleep condition for them too, so. I agree. I think it's yeah. so important that we don't criminalize when we have situations going on, you know, and kids get in trouble. She was sleeping in class or he was, you know, wake so-and-so and so up. And it, and it turns into a, sometimes even a battle between the child and the teacher and you know, it's important for, you know, if you are a teacher and you recognize these things, you know, I, I work with some very caring educators who will kind of, hey, you know, go wash your face or, you know, take a break or whatever. I, that's what I do. If I see someone is tired and because I recognize it and I say, OK, go wash your face, freshen yourself up, you know, walk around kind of, you know, that kind of thing, as opposed to criminalizing, oh, you're just being defined. You don't want to learn this lesson. And so we're going to, you know, write you up and, you know, fall back. It's, it's not that deep sometimes. And sometimes kids just don't get a good night's rest. And that's okay too, you know? And I think we have to definitely look at this as a possibility and something that, that we can, can work to change for the better for everyone. 
Well, I think that's kind of a good final words in a way. I also wanted to mention the American Association of Sleep Apnea is a really wonderful organization. If you um, are looking for more information, that is a really great nonprofit advocacy organization for people with sleep apnea. And they have great resources as well. So I just cannot thank Alita enough. Your willingness to share your story, because that's really what I truly believe in and is the most powerful thing is our stories. And when we're willing to like just share those, that that is one of the most powerful ways to get the word out. So you're amazing. And thank you again for doing this. (laughs) Thank you, Julie, for having me. It's been a joy. The Project Sleep Podcast is produced by Carver Sound Productions. For more information on podcast production services, visit carversoundproductions.com.